0: Guard is joining in, and
1: he's seen and extraordinary, set it for Saliba. for Saka beaten out by the race and touched in
2: by Jesus. Bacary Saka. Such noise, a crowd of Gunners euphoria.
3: Hello, and welcome back to the Bruce Honor FC podcast, where we're going to be talking about. Monday night's game against Crystal Palace at Salhost Park, which is quite a tough game. I think probably accepted by most fans in the Premier League as one of the harder away fixtures in the league outside of the top six. Um, today on the pod, with the usual suspects, I have firstly the fantastic Ben. How are you doing, Ben?
2: Oh, a new adjective every day, every, every pod.
3: It's off the cuff as well.
2: Oh, mate, honestly, you've swallowed saw it yeah. since I last saw you.
3: I'm, I'm very well read. And also, we have the I'm full on the spot now. The also fantastic Varun, how you doing, mate? Boo,
0: doing fantastic. As uh, as you just said, I'm glad to be on.
3: And we have a, a very special guest today. We've got Dan Cook, who you may also know as Hopkin Looking to Co One, which you may also abbreviate down to HLTCO who um, on the HLTCL podcast and does dedicated episodes on Palace but also does very frequent general football podcasts too that you can find on the HLTCL Patreon where you can join up for either just the Palace or just the general football podcast for £3 a month for each or both for £4.50 a month each Firstly then, thanks so much for coming on and how are you today?
1: I'm okay thanks, yeah, a bit uh, battered and bruised I suppose from the Michael Elise news over the last 24 hours but we we carry on regardless
3: yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> to be fair, um, uh, I think that, you know, as Arsenal fans, we can probably um, in some ways kind of sympathise with you over kind of the last decade or two where we've kind of been been pillaged for our great prospects as well, to be honest. Um, uh, and to be honest, like, as an Arsenal fan from the outside looking in at Palace, um, over the last few seasons, Palace have been a bit of like a fire and ice team to me, where you've had the flair of Zaha and Eze and Lise, but you've also had the... The more defensively robust players behind them, um, uh, that kind of balances it out. And obviously last season, um, a bit up and down, but you finished the season pretty positively under Hodgson. And to be fair, if if anyone said to me that Palace were going to go on an 11-game winless streak in the league and still finish a point above Chelsea, I'd have said you have to lay off the source. But to be fair, that is what happens. Um, But then you fast forward to this season, and despite... Um, I think a very good opening day win away at Sheffield United where you had 24 shots on goal, 68% possession and new signing Jefferson Lerma playing really, really well. It doesn't seem all rosy, partly to what you were saying where you have at least say injured, but seemingly off to Chelsea. Club captain Zaha left in the summer on a free. Liverpool now reportedly in for Takore. And um, uh, also you're kind of beefing on social media with your now third choice goalkeeper greater. So <laughs> question number one to you is do you think these types of situations will galvanize you or do you think they're gonna distract you?
1: I think it's obviously a very nuanced conversation. There's no sort of black or white to it. The Michael Elise situations are taken isolation. You know, the release clause has been there since he arrived from Reading. We all knew it was there. The only reason we were able to get him away from Reading in the first place was because he had an eight million pound release clause that we activated. And I think, as I've said myself over the last 24 hours or so, it was either a case of not signing him or signing him with that release clause. And in a strange way, I feel like the, the business, particularly that Chelsea have done over the last 12 months, has changed the market somewhat. Because even though £35 million for Michael Elyse is, is a drop in the ocean regardless, it has very much become a case of £70 million being the new £30 million. and. You know, if you look at it you in know, isolation, eight million pounds turns of thirty-five in two years for a player who we brought from the Championship doesn't seem like terrible business. But you factor in Zaha's departure, you factor in, as you said, Vicente Guaita t- tweeting the official account on the day we were playing Sheffield United. The, the Chet Decoré situation is one that I think is a genuine non-starter purely because he is quite simply our most important player from a defensive solidarity perspective. And with two weeks to go in the window and no pressure whatsoever to sell, I, I just don't envisage any situation where we sell for anything less than 90 to 100 million pounds. And I don't think Liverpool are going to do that.
3: I was thinking um, earlier, to be fair, I was thinking that because you've had the release clause for Lise, that probably puts
1: an extra 20, 30 million onto Decore. Well, probably. And, and you've got to factor in as well. We were going to spend 41.6 million pounds on Wilfred Zaha's contract over the four years. He hasn't taken that up. We had a transfer budget already, uh, and the only reason I think we've been hedging our bets somewhat in terms of our transfer targets over the last 10 days or so is because we've been aware that this Michael Elise situation is unfolding. And obviously, with that now having been triggered, you've got £35 million more to play with. And I don't want to talk about football as if it's just monopoly money, but if you look at the pressure on us to sell or the perceived pressure, there is zero unless de Decoré decides to do what Willy Nonto has done at Leeds and and throw his toys out of the pram and not play. But I I just don't envisage that situation at all. You know, he was our player of the year last season. He was very, very uh, grateful to the fans. I think he understands that Crystal Palace are a good place for him to be at the moment. And if you look at the spine of the team, with both he and Jefferson Lerma sitting there in defensive midfield roles, you've got Mark Gay and Joachim Anderson just behind them. Iberia as a playing in a slightly more advanced, almost natural number 10 position, given the fact that you've got the two defensive midfielders now, and Odson Edward having got off to a goal-scoring start, I just feel as though the spine of the team is, is very, very solid. And as much as Michael Elise leaving is is a, a kick in the stomach, he wasn't going to be available to us until the start of October anyway. And we've brought Mateus Franca in from Flamengo. I think we will go back into the market now across this next two weeks and hopefully spend upwards of £30 million pounds to secure at least two, if not three or four new players and and give ourselves a bit of positive momentum going into September onwards, because it's been a pretty grim summer other than that.
2: Yeah, I was I was going to ask sort of how it's felt, um, having basically the whole spine that you've mentioned being linked with other clubs. We've seen Joachim Anderson and Mark Gwehi both linked with moves to Spurs um, and even Liverpool. You've seen um Cech de Kory, as we mentioned, um, Zaha go to Turkey and Elise head to Chelsea now. And then there was also sort of very loose rumours about Tottenham being interested in Eze. Not that I think that, that would anything would ever come of that. But has it been sort of a frustrating summer? Because it felt like the end of the season was one where Palace could really kick on. You know, you, you had an excellent run under Hodgson. You seemed to find a groove with the young players that you had, and I think Decore was your player of the season as well. Hmm. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. He and then was, it just yeah, sort of was. it just sort of seems to have stalled out this summer. Like you've made you've made two signings, three signings. Two, Um, yeah. Two, yeah. And it just feels like what could have been a really good push into the top half is now sort of looking like a 11th, 12th place finish again, unless there are some major moves in the next few weeks.
1: Well, I mean, I do genuinely think that there will be quite significant movement from us from an incoming perspective between now and the deadline on September 1st, because... As I said uh, a couple of minutes ago, the Zaha contract situation is something that has pretty much dragged on ever since he put a pen to paper on a five-year contract five years ago. You know, he's angled for moves away and we've always turned down offers. It looked very much like he was actually going to sign an extension with us before all of a sudden Galatasaray came in and that deal was done pretty much within 48 hours. But having sort of earmarked £41.6 million pounds to go to him, we we do have wiggle room financially Financially and you know the Michael Elise situation is far from ideal but I think we were always going into that with our Mm. eyes open given the fact the release clause existed The, the sort of juxtaposition I suppose is that on one hand it's fantastic to see your club having players that are being linked with moves to European sides because it means your recruitment and your talent identification is on point on the other, yeah. when it all comes at once, it can feel a little bit like you're taking shots from every single angle. Uh, but I suppose the only real thing for us to do as a fan base is hope that the club get their talent identification right again and we can move up the table gradually. I mean, even when you look at Brighton as a prime example, they finished in European places last season. They've lost McAllister to Liverpool. They've lost Caicedo to Chelsea. I don't think anyone is immune from the sort of sharks that swim at the upper level of the game, and obviously Arsenal can count themselves amongst that number with a Declan Rice deal, but you do have to accept that there is a sort of natural place within the pecking order, and for us, you look at a player like Matthias Franca, he hasn't come to Crystal Palace from Brazil hoping to emulate Darren Ambrose and play for us for the rest of his career, you know, he's seeing us as a as an ideal opportunity for him to put himself in the shop window and potentially get a move to a Champions League club in two or three years' time and hopefully give us a decent transfer fee along with it. And I think the whole plan is to buy low, sell high, have young players that have potential on long-term contracts and try and utilise the perfect moment to sell. It's just that the Michael Elise situation with the release clause has thrown a bit of a spanner in the works.
2: Mm. I, never, I never thought I'd hear a Brighton fan, a uh, Palace fan comparing themselves to Brighton. Um... Well, you know...
1: <laughs> sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to just take one for the team and accept they've done a relatively good job from an, a recruitment perspective. Relatively, relative.
3: yeah. relatively seems like an undersell
1: that. Dan. But
2: um, <laughs> so moving on, moving on to obviously we play you at Selhurst Park on Monday night, which is the reason we've got you on on the pod. And I wanted to just discuss briefly where you see the game going and what sort of weaknesses are. It's still in the Palace side that you think might be a problem against this Arsenal side, and what you made of our opening day game as well.
1: Well, I think, I mean, if you go back to the start of last season, obviously it was the, the first game of the campaign for both sides then. Um, and t- to be honest, from a neutral perspective at that point, I didn't really feel as though Arsenal would be in the title race to the extent they were. I don't think I was alone in that. You know, most we Arsenal, didn't fans either, we're have, Arsenal fans wouldn't have yeah. seen that coming. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. So, you know, I, I think the performance you put in that night. at, Sort of didn't blow me away, but it took me back a little bit because I'm thinking, well, this is a side that fell apart when the pressure was on in terms of Champions League places the previous season, and you looked a lot more streamlined and in our faces from the very first kick. Obviously, you look at the first game this season, you were coasting towards a victory, and then Elanga went down the left, and, and you know, you had a bit of a, a torrid time of it for the last few minutes, but I, I still think that. It's difficult. I don't want to write off Arsenal's chances of, of winning the title. You've obviously, you know, made strides in the market with Declan Rice, with Havertz, even with Timber, even though he's he's been injured in the last few days, obviously. But I just can't really see past Manchester City in terms of the title. That doesn't mean that I think that Arsenal will be anywhere other than top four. But I just, I mean, we've seen Liverpool try to keep up with City over the last few years, and it is a relentless task. So, you know, with... European football back on the agenda. Your squad's going to be a little bit more stretched. And, and I, I don't think there's any shame in not being able to keep up with the pace that Man City set. But I do think you are a, a formidable side under Mikel Arteta now. And I'm certainly not expecting a, an easy game in the slightest. In terms of our weaknesses, I mean, I, I've, I've just mentioned... For me, this is the best spying we have had since I've been going to Palace. You know, you look at the two centre-backs, they are rock solid. Jefferson Lerma was man of the match against Sheffield United. Chet Decoray, as we've just discussed, was our player of the year last season. And he's fantastic. Pretty much did the job of two holding midfielders by himself last term. And with Eze having done what Eze's done for the last 12 months and Edward having got a goal in the first game of the season, I feel like even with Sam Johnston in goal, we have a very strong spine now. Uh, Obviously, on on the flanks, you could argue that a player like Jordan Ayew might get isolated by Arsenal defensively if they can get on top of him. But I I do think we will be competitive across the game and it won't be a blowout by any means.
0: I think you're right. Um, I mean, from what I remember, and I rewatched last season's game a couple of weeks ago against Palace when I saw what the uh, what the fixture list was looking like and it wasn't an easy game for us last year either by any means uh it was actually a little lucky i remember we needed a couple of good saves from Ramsdale just to make sure it stayed at 1-0 at the time do you do you think yakking uh, anderson might have a pivotal role again because i remember very clearly in that match he had pinpoint passes to Zaha and just out to the wings in general. And that was the one thing that caused us problems in that fixture last season. Do you think they might try utilising his ability there from the back again?
1: Well, I mean, Joa is... I mean, you can say this and and get sort of shouted down by fans of other clubs, but in terms of a ball-playing centre-back, I don't think there are many better than him in the league. You know, he he can pick a 40- or 50-yard pass... Like shelling peas, really. Uh, but at the same time, if you look at the makeup of our 11 going into this game, Elise injured on his way to Chelsea, Zaha no longer here, and Ebbs playing as a, an out and out 10. So you're unlikely to have the same sort of natural width that we did in that first game against Arsenal last season. Uh, I'm not suggesting that Anderson won't play a wide variety of long range passes because he can do that across any 90 minutes, but I do think particularly if you look at the way we performed against Sheffield United on the first day, and I appreciate Sheffield United and Arsenal were very different tasks, but the overall feel of this the side now, particularly with the two defensive midfielders, just seems to be very much about building calmly. You know, we had over 60% of the ball against Sheffield United, and you, you look at Jordan Ayew, he's not someone that's going to burn past people with pace. So I don't think it's a case of... I don't think it's a case of us looking at a situation where we're going to exploit sort of one-on-ones defensively and and try and get into the defensive third that way. I think we're going to be a little bit more methodical and whether that works in your favour or not remains to be seen. But I think it might end up being a bit of a war of attrition uh, in the midfield particularly.
0: Yeah, that was basically what I was wondering because of your changes now in your winger structure and the way you set up against Mm. Sheffield United kind of made me wonder whether... You would try the same tactic you did last year against us, because most of our starting eleven is quite similar to the one that, uh, or I think, will mm. be similar to the one that started against you last year. Which means potentially we might have similar areas where you try to exploit us. But you make sense that the, your structure is so different that you might try different ways of uh, of going at us.
2: Just, just quickly, you mentioned um, Eze. How how do we stop Eze? Like he's, he seems <laughs> to just glide through players, and while his end product is not always there, I mean, it's probably going to come. Maybe this. Although season, ten maybe goals next. last
3: season in the Premier. Yeah, also. yeah,
2: a few from the spot though, I think if I, if I'm not mistaken, but, um was there Only one in the end. Oh well. I think so. He, um, yeah, he's he's one of those players that's right on the fringes for England. We know he was um, spoken about for though that delayed Euros before he did his uh, knee. I think it was. How how good is he, and how do you how does a team try and stop someone like Eze who's given sort of that free role at number ten?
1: I think without wanting to big him up too much, he's just a, a beautiful footballer. You know, I often call him a Swan if if you can get the sort of idea because he doesn't have electrifying pace. It's not like he's going to burn past you and and you're not going to know what's hit you. But he'll be very much like a magician, show you the ball and be gone before you've had any chance to really understand what's happening. Almost in a way that Zidane used to. And I appreciate comparisons between Zidane and Eze might seem a little bit outlandish. But anyone who watches Zidane for a prolonged period of time will know that he got on the ball and it was almost as if the game slowed down around him. And it's very much the same watching Ebs because... When he's playing centrally, he can pick passes. There, there was one particular moment against Sheffield United where he played a through ball to Jeff Schlup in the box. And you watch it on a replay. It's the most simple ball you've ever seen in your life. But there's a reason that players can't play those balls week after week. And it's because they don't have the spatial awareness and the presence of thought that he does. And when he can pick up pockets of space in that archetypal number 10s position, being given freedom to drift either way because we don't have out-and-out wingers on the left and right now. I think it's just very difficult to pick him up. And for, for my money, albeit we're only one game into the season, having two out-and-out defensive midfielders does mean it takes a little bit of the defensive burden off him and allows him to concentrate on what he's truly good at, which is finding those pockets of space and, and trying to thread balls through to uh, whether it's a Jeff Schlupp or an Abiriaz or a odson Edward or a Jordan Ayew. And I think he's really going to relish that this season under Roy Hodgson. Whether or not we've still got him in 12 months' time is is another matter entirely. But I think for this campaign particularly, uh, he is going to be absolutely pivotal for us and probably get more goals than he ever has before.
3: Yeah, I would really back Eze to have... I mean, I say not so much a breakthrough season because I think 10 goals in the Premier League is a breakthrough season in itself. But I do think that there's a player there that's just going to have the talent to get better and better. And, And you could maybe even say that as much as it feels like some of the creative tank of Palace isn't there anymore with Zaha going and Elise going I think that with the added responsibility and the added onus on Eze probably could if anything like strengthen him um Mm. we're gonna say goodbye to Dan but before we do that I just want to get if I can before you go a quick match prediction like a (laughs) scoreline and first scorer Whenever I do
1: these things, whenever I do them, regardless, we could be playing Real Madrid at the Bernabeu with our reserves and I can't come on here and predict that we're ever going to lose a game of football. So I will say 1-1. I will say first goal scorer, Edward purely because he's probably going to retain his place and he scored first game of the season. He looks fitter and more up for it than I can ever remember him at Palace and hopefully he continues that goal-scoring form. Um, um, yeah, I won't predict a win because I feel like that's a little bit too far, but I'm not going to predict a loss either.
3: All right, well, we'll jot that down. We'll jot that down. Um, but, but seriously, Dan, thanks so much for coming on. Um, uh, as I was saying at the start of the episode, you can find him, you've got the HLTCO, you're on Twitter, you've got um, your YouTube, he's also got the Patreon, um, which is oh, amazing, yeah. value for money for the, the amount of content you put on there. Um uh, and as I say, thank you so much for coming mate, we really appreciate it.
1: No problem at all. Happy to help.
3: So now that we've had expert analysis from probably I I'm I think we've probably stayed in saying one of the <laughs> the most famous Crystal Palace fans there is. Um uh, I think a lot of that has been really, really interesting. I think part of what he's talking about is, you know, there's there's a somber feel around Palace because as Ben was saying earlier, last season ended so positively and they've almost kind of been stripped for parts in, in in a sense, but at the same time, you know, good opening day victory against Sheffield United away, which I think maybe sounds like a given for a Premier League established team like Palace, but I don't think is something that, that is really something that you can take for granted because Sheffield United are going to be fighting for their lives the entire season. People going um, away to them are going to have really, really tough games and to see them able to dominate possession and grind out a win is, is definitely a positive for them. But I think that in terms of us, we have our own problems. Um, and the first thing I want to do, I want to come to you, Ben. And obviously the big the big topic this week is Timber. We did like a whole emergency pod on Timber earlier on in the week. Um, and now it's going to come down to the crunch point of, as I said, at the start of the pods, we're going to Sellhurst Park, which is one of the tougher away matches in the league. We know that the, it's going to be a hostile environment. We know that they're going to, Fight for the win. We know that they're not going to have um as many of the flare players that can hurt us, but also they're not going to have as many of the flare players that could potentially leave spaces defensively. Um, so the first question to you, Ben, is Timber's not there. So, what what do you do instead? Like like how do you size up this team to go up against what is realistically going to be a pretty physical battle against a team that that I think. Is looking to have a better season than they had last season, and last season they finished eleventh, which is pretty good.
2: I think I keep the same back for. Um, well, actually, that's not true. I don't know why I said that. Um, I keep Tom. I put Tommy Asim in for Timber. I keep Party. Uh, put Ben White right back. Put Sliver and Gabriel back in central defense, and then play Party alongside Rice, and probably drop one of Havertz and Nketiah to make it a bit more. Um, Solid, I suppose, because whilst whilst at home to Nottingham Forest, we can probably get away with playing this new system. And, you know, it, it might be that Mikel Arteta decides that teething problems and all, he wants to carry on with that new system at Palace Away. But in t- if it was a one-off game and it was about practicality, um, that's probably what I'd do. Um, but I, th- I think Gabriel should, pro- should definitely come back in just simply because it's an away game and we need sort of actual... Are probably our best defender, um, if not necessarily our best sort of progressor of the ball back in the side, um, and then yeah, Tommy Asu maybe to take up the timber role. But as you say, there's a lot of question marks over, over how we set up with where the party goes back, where stays at right back, Ben White plays centrally. I'd be a bit, I'd be a bit wary of Ben White playing at centre back, and especially doing the sort of role that he did against Forrest where he sort of popped up everywhere, um. But yeah, I, I, I don't know about Varun, but that's probably what I'd do.
3: Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that on the scale of Man City and the Community Shield to the tactics against the Northern Forest at home, I think that we're much closer to the former than the latter. I think it wouldn't surprise me if, if Habits went back to playing up front. It wouldn't surprise me if, as you say, Gabriel comes back in. Just was he is? Um, I completely agree with you when you say that he is probably our best defender, like out-and-out defender um Varun, have you got any thoughts on it
0: uh i think uh honestly um there's parts i agree with i think gabriel is our best out and out defender and with saliba saying after the nottingham forest game that he's still not 100% at a tough away ground uh against what is going to be a very difficult palace side i think you would want gabriel there to support saliba in the middle Ben White can easily take up right back again. He doesn't have to face Zaha this time on that wing, so he hopefully, fingers crossed, would have slightly a less aggravating time. I know he handled him well last time, but going I say, I thought he did. He all right did, he did. Zaha but it's the but Zaha presents too, yeah. physically and mentally. He presents challenges, and I think that's a little bit less that Ben White would have to worry about this time. Uh, but Tom, I agree with Ben. I think Tommy needs to take that left-back spot for this game. I don't see any benefit whatsoever in rushing Zinchenko back, considering he missed all the preseason, and then throwing him in at Salhurst Park is not the game, in my opinion, uh, to do that. So I think Tommy needs to start that match. KVR can always come in and hold the left-back spot if we need it. Um, I think it would be a little... Tough on Enketa to not uh, to not start him after he got the opening goal. He had a quite good game, I felt, against Forest, and just the way Mikel said in uh, the press conference afterwards that following the Community Shield, the way he trained, sort of it, it it basically didn't allow Arteta any option but to give him the starting spot in that striker role, um, and then he kind of backed it up with another goal. So I. Almost thinking Katia is going to start, but I don't know whether we go for a Partey and Rice uh, midfield behind Odegaard or whether we see Rice, Havertz, and Odegaard as the midfield three. Um, I'm not quite sure there, but I do think Enketia needs to have one of the spots in the eleven.
3: Yeah, I mean it's one of those things, and I do think that as as you know, same as as what Ben and myself were saying, Gabriel makes sense because obviously. Um, crystal palace have some big players like like as uh, as dan said earlier like edward looks like he he'll probably um keep his place after scoring the winning goal against united i think they still have Mateta, unless i'm incorrect in that and he's a he's a bit of a unit um uh, they have big center backs like Joaquin anson is like what 63 plus um so you know set pieces is going to be a bit of a of a theme for for crystal palace this season and i think that it does make sense for us to have um especially away at crystal palace it makes sense for us to have people there that, that can defend those set pieces because i think if, if i'm being honest um some of the the set pieces against Nottingham forest didn't look especially comfortable so i'm just going to stay with you Viren, for my next one as well just because you mentioned earlier that you re-watched the game from last season uh, like a few weeks ago so the, the, the next thing i want to ask you is um What did you pick up from that game that you're hoping us to recreate for this game that that you think can help us get the the win again? Because as you said, it wasn't completely
0: comfortable, but we got the three points. So one thing that obviously I think we all remember, even if we haven't watched the game, is the way Jesus was kind of up for it and he was making things happen, running all over the place in that midfield and the final third. Obviously, we don't have him, but that is one of the reasons that I kind of think and Katia would be the right one to start, or potentially Trossard, because I think we need that little bit of um, lack of predictability, shall we say, up front, so that the the front three can kind of keep interchanging positions as needed. Because that's what Jesus offered us last season. That's what allowed us to create opportunities against Palace, and arguably we could have scored two or three in that game in the first half. We just weren't clinical enough. Um, and we'd only had one. But I do think Katia or Trossard up front would allow a front three of Martinelli, Saka, and one of those two forwards to be a little more mobile and interchangeable rather than Havertz. I think Havertz is good as a, as a long ball option if we're being pressed back in our defence. I don't know whether that's likely to happen against Palace. It could, depending on how they set up. But I do think that's one of the keys for us to try and get the better because like Dan also mentioned, um they've set up differently that they might be a little more methodical. Well, Arteta knows how to set up his team to outpass an opponent. And I think you need those key controlling players in midfield to get that advantage. So I think having Party or Rice and then uh Havertz and Odegaard, that will give us players who are good with control in kind of tight areas might help us win that midfield battle. And then the unpredictability of the front three could be what gives us the edge.
3: Yeah, I think it's it's, it's going to be a really tricky game. Um, definitely a lot trickier than people probably think. When when you look at the fixture list and you see a mid-table team coming up, you you, you often think, well, you know, you're, you're a top six team. You should beat mid-table teams. But I, I, it's never a given. And especially away from home against team at is it's, it's always a really, really tricky, um, tricky thing. Um, ben, so I think one of the really interesting things that we haven't touched on yet is obviously... You know, we announced David Raya um, yesterday. I believe it was announced, and visibly, like you'd imagine, he's going to be on the bench um, this coming Monday. So, my question to you, Ben, is: if you're Aaron Ramsdale and you've now got um, a, a goalkeeper that gets called up for Spain sitting on the bench, and you know that if you were to have a clanger, it could mean you're not in for the next game, where are you mentally? Like, how how do you think that's going to work in his brain and on, on how he has to react to that?
2: we're going to see an all-time display from Aaron Ramsdale this Monday. Um, yes, I love to hear it. Just that. it's it's an away game, at a tricky ground that's going to give him stick all game with David Ryer on the bench. And I think his shit house
3: powers are going to be amplified.
2: Honestly, yeah. Yeah, he's just I think that we're going to see a very motivated Ramsdale, not least because he'll have, he'll have been in training and we know ryer has been in training for the last few days. Ramsdale knows what he's what he's up against and we, um, you know, now we've got two keepers, he can be dropped at the drop of a hat. So I think that we'll see a very, um, I think we'll see a strong performance from him, both with his distribution and, you know, if he need, if he's called on to make saves, I have faith in him making them. Um, and I think that it, the competition is good for him. And, you know, away from home, we always see the best of him. So I would be shocked if it wasn't like a, you know, a game where we come out of it and we're like, oh, he did pretty well, didn't he? I would love to see that. I think there's there's
3: nothing better than um, uh, when you're going away and your keeper puts in a 10 out of 10 performance and absolutely kills it. Um, I think generally that's a good place to leave it before. I'll go, same as we did with Dan. I think it's good to to get some predictions of uh, the score and, and first goal scorer. I'll kick things off and then we'll go Ben Varun. I think I'm actually going to go, and this maybe is a bit, positive like too positive maybe but i'm gonna go for a 2-0 win and i'm gonna say center back gabriel to score the first goal would you reckon
2: ben i was gonna say 2-1 and gabriel but i'm gonna say um i'm gonna say 2-1 you've been
3: bigging up Ramsdale and... for the last five minutes you're not gonna give him a king <laughs> um
2: yeah it's more it's more our uh, high line that i worry about um i think it'll be 2-1 and I think I think it might be a bit nervy actually, at times. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be two one, and Martin Odegaard score the first goal. What are you saying, Varun?
0: I was kind of thinking two one to us as well. Um, I don't think it's going to be as straightforward as 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 it might seem on paper. I, I, even though we are we are strong, I think we're still kind of figuring out the little kinks at the moment. But I'm going to say 2-1 to us and I'm going to go with Saka to score the first.
3: Fantastic. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. So obviously we have Crystal Palace coming up on Monday, Crystal Palace away. Um, It's going to be a really interesting game. And obviously when you're up against Manchester City, every three points feels like the last three points you're going to get. So you need to take them. Uh, Obviously... Huge thanks to to Dan, aka HLTCO, to uh, for coming onto the podcast and giving such amazing insight on Crystal Palace and football in general. Um, and obviously, you know, we'll be back after the Palace game with the the Palace review. So please check back in there. Um, I've been Luke, and I've been joined by Ben and Varun. Thank you very much for listening.
2: Uh, the guard is joining in, and he's seen.
1: All right, we